Better off to stick it in a 110 light socket and let it grab a hold of you and kiss you in the name of Jesus. Now, I'll give you a couple of things here that we've been covering already and trying to get past this so we can get in Daniel when I get back and take a few days off here. But I want you to take your Bible and look now. We're talking about verse 14, Ephesians chapter 6. Stand therefore having your loins girt about with truth. That's an important thing. We're going to talk about that tonight. And we say that we want the truth, but the difficult thing is uh, we don't like the truth that's about us. Yeah. Hardest truth in the Bible is when the Lord comes down and says, Thou art the man. That's the most difficult thing for you to accept when you have to look in the mirror of God's Word and see that you come short of what the glory of God is, which is Jesus Christ. The difficult thing is, is that you see the faults in so many other people is to see the same faults in yourself that you see in others. To be as critical of yourself as you are of others. To be critical of your own governmental way of running your own life as you are about the one that runs your life. Like your boss and the other people. See, I guess all of a sudden you kind of, well, I'm preacher, move along. No, that's the truth. That's the truth of the Bible. If you want the Bible to change you, listen, thoughts produce conduct. And conduct produces character and character or habits and habits produce character and ultimately character winds up producing direction or a destination. So what you do with your thoughts changes the direction of where you're headed and if you don't think right and the only way I know to tell you to think right is is you have to have somebody that you know whose thoughts are always best for you and that's God's Word. That's why you don't read it. You don't like what he has to say about you. That's why you don't read it. That's why I read it and then I kind of hyper, hyper divide it and say, well, that must be for somebody else. Now, I know y'all never do that. You know, it's kind of, oh, I'm good. That's for my wife. I know what that one's for right there, you know. Uh, but sometimes, isn't that what we do with it? Do you apply it to yourself the way you want it applied to others? I mean, if it's fair for the goose, isn't it fair for the gander? All right, then he says this to you, and he said, uh, he, he says, loins girt about with truth. We'll talk about that in a minute. Blessed prayer of righteousness, the feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. We talked about that this morning. Above all, taking the shield of faith. I'm going to move past that one and come back to it later. Wherewithal, you should be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked and take the helmet of salvation, the sword of the Spirit. Notice what it is, which is what? Brother Sam, you pray, would you, and ask the Lord to help us. Amen. Thank you. You can have a seat. Let me just say this quickly about the shield of faith. Uh, you have to learn to trust in the book. You have to learn that if the book says that that settles it, and whether you believe it or not is inconsequential to the fact that it's the absolute truth. One of the most difficult things you have in life is to have something that's reliable that you can lean on and you can put your faith and trust in. And all the devil has to do is, is try to erode the foundation. If God says all things work together for good to them that love God, them that are called according to the purpose, then all things work together for good. Now you may not understand how it is. The problem is, is he doesn't ask you to understand it. And most of the time he doesn't even explain it. 
Most of the time, the problem is you think God is like we are and you think God owes you an explanation. God doesn't owe you an explanation. The Bible says in the Old Testament, His ways are, above, are not our ways and His thoughts are far above our thoughts. He doesn't even think the way we do. It's amazing to me that God would manifest Himself in the flesh and come down here and dwell among His creation and let His creation treat Him the way that He crea uh, uh, treated Him and then die on for the cross for the sinful creation that He created and gave all the benefits for and then after He saves you, gives you your free will back. After He saves you, He turns around and says, well, I saved you, I bought you, I paid for you, I went to hell for you, I paid the price for you, I died on Calvary's cross naked up there, beaten, bloody, and hanging up there, and then resurrected again after the third day, and here, now that, I'm, that you're saved, now you can have your life back, and you do with it whatever you want. If you paid for a car like that and then handed the car keys back to the dealer and said, here, I bought the car, but you go ahead and do it, people put you in the nut house. They'd tie you up and Baker Act you and put you on the fourth floor of the county hospital down there, put you in a rubber room and say you were crazy. You know what God did to you when he saved you? God saved you and handed you your free will back and said to you, hey, if you love me, then keep my commandments. You want to serve me, serve me. If you don't, I'm going to save you and I'm going to keep my word anyway. I got news for you. I'm nothing like God at all. I'm big on loyalty. I think if somebody was as disloyal to me as I have been to God, I guarantee you, I come time to get to heaven, Lord, say, I think I'm just going to be disloyal to you for a change. You know, it's a strange thing when it comes to my prayer life. I find that every time I go to him, that the Lord's willing to listen to me. Now, sometimes I got to clear some junk out of the way, but I find that he's always there. He must be some more God. I mean, are you with the faithful with him all the time? I mean, all the time. I know you don't smoke and drink and cuss and do, do, do crack and all that other kind of stuff. And you don't do all the crazy stuff and, and those kind of things. But uh, is your mind always where it's supposed to be? How do you do with anger and wrath and bitterness and strife and unforgiving spirit? How do you do with grief and those kinds of things? I mean, you got those clear? Those are sins too, just like smoking and drinking is. There's a whole lot more to the Christian life than just whether or not you wear a suit and tie and whether or not you bust open a can of beer every now and then and this and that and the other. People make Christianity like that's all there is to Christianity. That's kid stuff, man. You quit that stuff when you go to work or their boss will fire you. Don't tell me you can't quit. If you want to quit bad enough because it affects a paycheck, you'll quit. You don't quit because you don't want to quit. You know why? Because God gave you back your free will and because he doesn't blister your hind end. When you mess up, you know what you figure? Well, okay, I'll I'll go ahead and do it. He's not going to punish me anyway. He doesn't care. You just heard the song. He does care. Yeah, yeah. Uh, sometimes he waits until you get knee deep or neck deep in a big mess and then all of a sudden he comes along and he says, hey, you want me to help you now? You know what I've always had down in the deep pit in my life whenever things come along that way the Lord will run a rope down there and grab me and try to pull me back out and set my feet upon solid ground and pull me out of a miry pit that I put myself into. And God's always been there. But ladies and gentlemen make no mistake about it that shield of faith is learning to trust God when you don't understand what it is the outcome's going to be. Don't ever put yourself in a position where you think God owes you an explanation. Why God? Why God? Why? 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 How about this? Lord, you said it's best. I'm just going to operate on that. But that's a hard one, isn't it? That's called the shield of faith. You say what? The devil's the one that's always asking you like Job. Uh, Job, why is he doing it? If you're one of his, why did he let you lose all your kids? Why did you lose all your cattle? Why did you lose all your surf servants? Why did you lose your wife turned against you? Why did you lose your health? Or why is your friends turned against you? I mean, if he was a good God, Job, why would Job do that? You know that? The Bible says, Job chapter 2, in all this, Gerd did not bring an accusation against God. 
My goodness, man. Job says to his wife when she says, curse God and die, he says, hey, we've received all these good things of God. Should we not receive evil also? I got news for you. I can't touch the hem of Job's garment, let alone Paul. But you know what's a strange thing, ladies and gentlemen, is, is we forget in the age of grace that you're saved and you're uh, kept by His grace and by His mercy and by His goodness. You're not kept by your works. The kids quoted it to you tonight in Ephesians 2, 8, 9. For by grace you saved through faith and that not of yourselves, the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. And God gives that back to you. And we're worse than an Old Testament Jew complaining all the time and saying, God, why'd you do this? And God, why'd you do that? And God, why'd you let this happen? God, you could fix that. And God, why'd you do this? And God, why? Like we're on the same level with God. Why don't we just learn to live our life? Why don't we just have the shield of faith? You want to put the devil, you want to silence the devil, you want to get his, uh, the wiles of the devil, the tricks of the devil, the fiery darts of the devil. You say, what does it require? God said it's good, it's good. Well, I mean, if it was good, Eve, why did he put a tree like that to tempt you in the garden? I've heard that enough times that it'll make you throw up. I've heard, I don't know how many times, you know, well, you know, if God didn't want Adam to fall and Eve to fall, why did he put the tree in the garden? Free will, stupid, that's why. What, pardon me, uninformed. One of the things that he tries to show you there is, is that you have a choice. Now think about this for a minute. There's 999 million other trees out there in their thing. They're all bearing fruit and everything's perfect. I mean, no bugs to bother them at night. They use the nightshades to, to cover up them as a blanket there. They never get cold and never get hot. It's a perfect temperature, perfect ambient temperature. Everything is as good as it can be. No animals bother them, nothing like that. I mean, good night, man. Eating whatever they want, whenever they want never gain an ounce. I mean, like, you know, perfect as perfect can be. And why did he put a tree there? To say, listen, there's one tree. One tree. Don't eat it. That shouldn't be too tough, is it? But come on now, isn't it that one thing that gets you? Don't that one thing get you? I mean, he says, listen, don't do that one thing. Doesn't that one thing get you? Come on, don't you have a besetting sin? That thing keeps cropping up. Maybe it's bitterness. Maybe it's anger. Maybe it's a foul mouth. I don't know what it is. I couldn't tell you. I mean, we got as much the problem as Carter's got pills. There's enough fleas on us to remind us of the dog we are. Don't you have that one thing? God said, don't do it. And he just said, don't do the one. Look at all you can do. You know what we come focus on? What you can't do. Well, I don't know if God did that. Why can't I do that? Why can't I do this? Why can't? What about, what about all the things you can do? I can do all things through Christ that strengtheneth me. How come it has to be? Well, God took things away. You know, I don't see a problem with popping the top, just pulling the cork out of a bottle and, you know, a little chug-a-lug. What's the big deal? I mean, it's Thanksgiving, it's Christmas, it makes for a nice deal. And, you know, I get a little buzz going. And what's the, what's the problem with that? And I don't really see a problem with that. Or, you know, a little grip between my cheek and gum. And, you know, just, you know, I mean, I mean, why can't I enjoy the pleasures of life? What about all the things you can enjoy? What about that? Well, I shouldn't be watching that. I shouldn't be watching that. I shouldn't be watching that. But what about all the things you can watch? I shouldn't read this and I shouldn't read it. Well, what about the things you can read? Why is it always on the other side of that? Because the other side that operates by sight, not by faith. The reason I don't do those things and can't do those things is because God's real and I have to by faith realize God's real. I told a friend of mine last week, just before Turkey Day came up there, we were talking along these lines, he's going through some really bad things. And I said, you know something, sir? I said, I don't understand. He's not a saved man. I didn't call him brother. I said, you know something, sir, what amazes me? And he said, what's that? I said, I don't know how you make it through. I said, how in the blazes? I probably shouldn't have said that. But I said, I don't know how in blazes you make it through a day not knowing whether or 
not you're going to heaven or hell. I said, if everything you're talking about right now, if you were, if I was you, I'd be miserable, man. I'd be ready to just check out on my own because I said, you don't even know where you're going. If there is no life after death, like you're trying to make it out to be, what's the point of living? I mean, if there is no God and there is no heaven and there is no eternity in hell and there is no better life after this life with a glorified body and streets of gold, I believe all that with the shield of faith. If it's not there, let's just get drunk, party, and die. Live off the government. The people coming in from the southern border are. I mean, they get fed their turkey dinner before you do. I mean, I don't don't understand that if there is no God. But if there is a God, some are you up at the creek with no means of motivation. Because the shield of faith makes requires me to operate in a different mindset than everybody else. Why don't you do that? Because I believe in eternity. Because I believe I'm going to face Him one day. Because I believe I'm going to see Him at the judgment seat of Christ. Yeah, but you mean to tell me you can't do that? I'm telling you I can do a lot of things. I don't just focus on what I can't do. I don't think I've lost anything following Jesus Christ. I'm worn out with that. I'm worn out with that mindset. Well, I don't want to get saved. I'll have to give up liquor and cigarettes. Well, you're going to give it up one day. Whether it's in a hospital before you kick off or whether it's when you're dead, you're going to give it up one day. Well, why don't you do that? I don't think it's not just because of my physical thing. It's a bad testimony. I don't care if it is Christmas and the holidays and you want to go get your little snops and walk around with everybody and, and you know, get your little pinky up so you can enjoy the little party. I, I don't matter to me if that's what you want to do. I don't want to do that stuff. You say, why? Uh, because of where I'm going. I've never been there. Have you? I've never seen it. Have you? How come it is that when people watch us as Christians, they call us hypocrites? Let me give you the short answer. Because we don't live like we're going to that place. We live like all we have is right down here. That's why what I hear from Christians on a regular basis is all the things I can't do now that I'm saved. Well, you can do whatever you want to do and still go to heaven. Read Galatians chapter number 5. Everything's in there with sexual sin and murder and everything else that you want to do. If you want to walk in the flesh, you can walk in the flesh. You don't get any rewards at the judgment seat, but you still go to heaven. Help yourself. I'm not here to put you in a straight jacket. I'm not here to take things away from you, give you the negative side. Well, I just believe you're a good Christian. You don't do the following things. How about all the things you can do? I do get to tell people about eternity. I do get to comfort people when life comes to an end. I do have some answers for them as to what happens after life, after death. If something has happened and tragically that child or someone has been taken at an untimely time. I do get to do a lot of those things. I'm wore out with this negativity all the time of, you know, well, you know, I'm a Christian. I can't go there. No, go ahead and go. No, really, go ahead and go. You want to fornicate in the back seat of a car? Help yourself. No, help yourself. I mean, the world says it's okay. The shield of faith said, hey, there's a price to pay. The shield of faith said you're going to eternity. The shield of faith says you can't. But you know what? As a cre- you can't. You got free will. Help yourself. You think that all the preacher is is here to just be a big red light telling you the bridge is out and that you need to stop. No, I can't stop you. I can't persuade you against your own will. How's that for a Baptist preacher? If you don't want to do it, don't do it. Help yourself. 
You're going to use your liberty anyway. But stop coming to me and telling me about all the liberty that you have, okay? You're not going to change me. Well, preacher, you know, you've got to learn to relax a little bit and chill out a little bit. Don't be getting in my spiritual lane. You don't realize that I don't do it because I'm spiritual. That shocked you. I can't do the stuff some of you people do because I can't handle it. It'll be a domino effect. It'll be an avalanche. I'll be a gigantic little snowball. All of a sudden, I'll be a boulder rolling down a hill. You say, why? I have to stay away from that stuff because of what I know it'll do to me spiritually. That's the shield of faith. You say, what? I believe there's consequences. I'm afraid to do it. I'm not afraid he's going to smack me. There's too many things I have done in my life, ladies and gentlemen, where I've done those things and I'm waiting for the Lord to smack me down. <laughs> and He doesn't. Right. Now, I'm sure the Lord's never been merciful to you. He probably jumps on you every time you mess up. I'm sure you've never gotten away with anything. Come on, I mean, I'm sure you've never done stuff you shouldn't do. Come on. And God forgave you and let it go. And you know you had a shipload of all kind of stuff coming in and God let it sink in the harbor. You planted a bunch of rows of corn and stuff out there and you know you got a crop coming in and a drought comes and there's crop failure. And you go out there and you look at that field and you keep looking every day for that little sprout to come up and you're thinking, man, I know what's coming, I know what's coming. The Lord said, no, it's under the blood and we'll let it go. But for me, he's been merciful to me. I'm not not doing it because I'm afraid that he's going to chasten me. I know whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth and scourgeth every son whom he receiveth. That scares me more than you might imagine. You say, why? Because there's times I've done stuff and he hadn't chastened me. And I'm wondering if I'm a son. Whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth and scourgeth every son. You know, one of the greatest ways to know you're saved is the Lord don't let you get away with everything. But ladies and gentlemen, you have to understand that the shield of faith is the thing that prevents you from doing things you shouldn't do because you realize eternity's coming and there's a price to pay for that. He warns you in a multitude of places in the New Testament there that you won't get an inheritance up there. Didn't say you weren't saved. You don't get an inheritance up there if you decide to live how you Johnny well please. But he doesn't say he'll kill you on the spot. I know about the sin unto death. I understand that. The Lord doesn't have to kill you the minute you do something like that. You know, all he has to do, you've got uh, 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 Uzzah that reaches out there and he touches the ark and then boom, he gets killed on the spot. That's touching a holy thing. But God doesn't have to do that. All he has to do is if you throw the flesh, the flesh will reap corruption. Yep. All he has to do is get time work. Yep. By the way, time to him is nothing. A day is a thousand years to him. A day is a thousand years. One day with the Lord is a thousand years. A thousand years is a day. Time doesn't mean anything to him. He's not worried about it. He's not bound by time. He's sitting up in eternity right now. That'll blow your mind. You step up there, what time is it? I don't know. We don't have a time up here. You're in eternity. How long does it last? Forever? When did it start? Forever? When's it end? Forever? Alpha and omega, beginning and end? Well, how long have you been here? When were you created? What and always been here? You mean you just always been? Always been. He's not a created being. Well, what began in the beginning, God? Forget the created heaven, in the beginning, God. He's always here. How long ago? Far back as you could remember and then some. 
That's the God you serve. That's the shield of faith you have to walk by. The idea that a Baptist preacher can tell you how to live and what to do and walk right and spit white and, and talk right and do this and do that and all that kind of stuff. You ought to have better sense than to act like a fool after what the Lord did for you. But if you want to act like a fool, I can't lie to you and tell you that God's going to whoop you. Some of you people right now, you're living right next door to the devil himself. You're walking down there eating the devil's tin cans in the back alleys and you're doing things and sitting in a church on Sunday and acting like everything's fine. And on Saturday nights, you've been down at the club and Saturday nights, you've been out in the hunt club and you've been places and doing things and saying things and telling stories. And you've been in your house and you've been talking about each other and talking about the brethren and you've been cussing and swearing and yelling and screaming and hollering and then you come in here and you dress up and you say, well, I, but I, I'm, I'm, I, you're saved. You're not a Christian, but you're saved. Amen. And the very idea that a preacher can tell you how to live in your private life. Some of you argue all the way to church this morning. And then you get out and you... Ain't that right, Brother Dale? <laughs> and then you know what you do? You come into church and everything just looks right. And the Lord knows. I told you this morning, and I don't apologize for what I said at all. When you're by yourself, that's who you really are. But there's two other things that are right there with you. Amen. It's you and God and the devil right there with yes, you. Sir. Everything you do, they're right there. Yes. You ever consider that? Amen. Shield of faith makes you pause and wonder. I wonder, I remember the days we had the bracelet out, the WWJD. I'm going to come to the book here in just a second. The WWJD, and that's not, you know, we want Jack Daniels. That's, you know, what would Jesus do? Well, would Jesus do the, some of the things you do that are right on the edge? You reckon you'd be able to look at him and question his testimony by, oh, Lord, you kind of, just real still right there. Well, it's a strange thing. You know what people try to do? They try to tell you how you should or shouldn't do it. I know why you do it. Because you want to. Amen. Because you're not looking out in eternity. You never pause and think about it. You never even wonder about it. You never even consider the collateral damage, do you, Aiken? Just go ahead and do it. Sir, you don't care if it destroys your family. You sucking that stuff in through your eyeballs at nighttime when you think everybody else is asleep. God ain't asleep. The devil ain't asleep. Next thing you know, that Coke bottle of a wife you now has turned into a mayonnaise jar because she doesn't bore all your kids and trying her best to take care of you and take care of the house. And all of a sudden, she don't look like the foolishness you're watching on that kind of a deal. And I'm sorry to be so plain with you. And the next thing you know, you destroy your whole family for that. Oh, preacher, you know, I, I can handle that stuff. And you call yourself a Christian? What goes in your eye affects your heart. Yeah. I told you, your heart produces habits, and habits produce character, and character produces a destination. You wind up in the ditch. Well, but preacher, you know, I preach about other little things. I know, I know, I know all the excuses. You know what the problem is? I can't tell you you can't do it. I can't even tell you that if you do it, God's going to blister your uh, behind end for it. Because I know my own personal experience is, is that there's been things I've done and the Lord just says, okay, put it under the blood. I've learned this, boy, when I mess up, I fess up. Boy, the second I feel just a little twinge, I'm like, I need to get that fixed. I, it bothers me. Can I show you a couple things about the Bible? We won't take very long here tonight. I'll try to get you out. Is it making sense to you at all? 
She said, what you so jacked up about? Ladies and gentlemen, I'm sure based upon what the Bible teaches me that I'm doing what I'm supposed to be doing and I'm doing my best to preach to help you and I'm committed to that cause until the day the Lord by death or rapture takes me out of here. I don't have any sins, any, any intentions of backing off and I don't have any intentions of changing. So, but you've been saying the same thing for 35 years. I'm gonna, if the Lord willing, I'll say it 35 more. Amen. You're going to be waiting a long time if you're thinking all of a sudden you're going to get a mainstream modernistic preacher who's going to come in here and we're going to have some kind of party time around here. It's the time for preaching. You say, what are you trying to do? I'm trying to knock the kinks out of your head because you get them filled up during the week. I'm trying to offset six days during the week when you've been filled up with all that other stuff and you need a good spiritual ex-lax. Some of you look like the Spirit's moving you a little bit right now. Like you're a little nauseated. The preacher, I don't pre I'm, I'm sure what I'm saying is true. I'm positive of it. Let me show you some things about the Bible. Uh, the Bible, the mistaken idea of the Bible, come to the book of Hebrews. Hebrews chapter number 4. You probably know where I'm going with this. Hebrews chapter number 4. I'll give you a few things the Bible does. Contrary to popular belief, it ain't all Psalms and Proverbs. You know, I had a Marine tell me one time, a Marine, I can't believe it's a Marine, but I had a Marine tell me one time, he said, you're just a little too rough. <laughs> you know what, I had two people when I was coming up through the ranks there, I had two people that I can remember distinctly, I mean distinctly. One of them was Sergeant Fred Jones, he was a, a former DI uh, in the military, in the Marine Corps, and he was our, uh, the one that was in charge of us when my class came through back in the early 70s. And when we came through that thing, man, that guy, I mean, whew, good night, man. You talk about wearing you out. I mean, just, I mean, he wasn't nice at all. But I'm positive what he taught me kept me alive. He wasn't worried whether I liked him or not. He was worried whether or not I was well enough trained that he could keep me alive. There's another guy that was that way. His name was Tom Vautour. And he has the personality of that pulpit right there. He, he looks like that pulpit right there. <laughs> And uh, Tom Vautour put us through defensive tactics and training. And there was uh, another guy out there, uh, Barry Pierce. He's a little fellow. I think he's gone now uh, with the Ferrara Freshwater Fish and Game Commission. He was only about maybe five foot six or so. But he had every kind of black belt you can imagine. And back then, I was a pretty good sized fella. And he'd always pick on the big fellas. Like big boy back there in the back. And like the sheriff here, they'd pick on the big boys. And little fella would make us big boys holler and cry. You'd, you'd tap out. Man, you'd beat your leg silly trying to tap out. They didn't know the meaning of tap out. And beat you down like nobody's business. And make you holler mama like you can't imagine. And Tom Vautour put us through that and put us through that uh, motorcycle school. I'm telling the truth. I'm not stretching. I ain't preaching. I'm telling the truth. <laughs> You get that in a minute, good. <laughs> and drop that motorcycle and pick that motorcycle up and drop that motorcycle and pick that motorcycle up and drop that motorcycle and stay out there, man. I mean, all of a sudden the spotlights are coming on and do it again and do it again and do it again. I mean, you're black from head to toe, man, laying around rolling in the asphalt and picking that stuff up and cut up and your ankles are hurt because you're trying to catch the motorcycle and you're supposed to let it fall and it falls on you and that kind of a deal. And then it falls on you. They don't come over and help you. It's like, get up. I'm like, my motorcycle's down. What you going to do if you go down in a chase or something? Get up. Well, I'm pinned. Well, I bet you better figure out a way out. <laughs> Walk off and leave you there. That Kawasaki gets heavy after a little while, even if you are a big boy. But you know what I know about him? He wasn't real nice. 
But I can stand here in front of you and tell you I'm alive because of it. Amen. This idea of nicey-wicey preachers is stuff kind of getting, uh, getting, getting on my nerves a little Amen. bit. Amen. You're getting accustomed to all of a sudden you're like a Joel Osteen, Joyce Myers kind of an idea. Yes, you're getting too effeminate, boys. Yes, your backbone's beginning to shrivel up. You're getting older now and you're, bone, you're getting bone densities beginning to get a little bit thin now. You kind of look like a cotton string kind of blowing in the wind. Well, preacher, you know, I just don't know. You sound like a bunch of old women. And we've got old women around here that got more character than some of you. Amen. How dare you talk like that? You need to go back about 20 years. I used to talk like this all the time. Be more than babies crying in the service. Amen. You say, why? That Bible's written in such a fashion as to criticize you. You go to the Bible, you know what you're looking for? You're looking for comfort, Psalms and Proverbs. That Bible's written to criticize you. Hebrews 4.12, are you there? You read it with me. Let's see if I can quote it. I'll try to do my best. I'm not as good as these kids are. I'm good with Jesus wept. But other than that, I mess them up. Hebrews chapter 4, verse number 12. I believe it says the word of God is quick and powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even the dividing asunder of soul and spirit, joints and marrow, as a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. Is that what it says? You know what he says over in the book of Jeremiah? He said, cursed be the man that withholds his sword from blood. You know what that means? That means every now and then we need a little bit of reproof. We need a little bit of rebuke. We need a little bit of tightening up. We need a little bit of let's get, some, uh, let's get serious about things. I mean, people are dying to go to hell. Oh, well, who cares? The preacher came in one day. He was good and mad. He's an old man getting up in age. And he came up there and he said, uh, this world out here is going to hell and you people don't give. And he cursed a, used a curse word like that. And the people just gasped and all that. And he said, More, most of you are worried about the word I used than you are about people going to hell. You're worried about abortion clinics and you're worried about queers and you're worried about gay activists and same-sex marriage and whether or not the earth's round or flat or who's in charge of the government, how many people are coming across the, the border and all the political issues and things like that. And people are dying and going to hell. Well, you know, I don't know. Preacher, you know, we need to address the social problems in our world today. The world ain't my problem. My problem is to deal with a local church that God gave me to try to be the pastor over and to try to instruct the people that want to hear, not by force. I'm not going to cut your head off and holler some kind of slogan out there to chop off your head if you don't agree with me. you got free will. You don't agree with me, you can leave. I don't want you to leave. I'm not telling you to leave. I'm not challenging you to leave. i got to qualify that nowadays because you've gotten so thin-skinned. And all of a sudden, it's, well, yeah, I mean, but, but why does, I mean, I, what he said is true, but uh, the Bible criticizes you. That Bible says the heart is desperately wicked. This would be in Jeremiah 17, desperately wicked and deceitful above all things. Your heart, my heart, the way we think, where we make decisions, it's whacked out. It's a soup sandwich. That's why you need to put that Bible in you and you need to make that Bible, have a relationship with that Bible. Oh, preacher, you got to be kidding me. Don't you have notes in your Bible? Don't you have pictures in your Bible? Don't you have places and times where God's answered prayers for you in that Bible? God saved you. Did you write it down in your Bible? God answered a prayer for you. Did you write it down in the Bible? Some things or some people you're praying about. Did you write it down in the Bible? You got a tear stain in that Bible because of somebody that you lost. You got a coffee stain because you spilled it one morning when you got up and you got a little bit careless. I mean, that Bible should mean something to you more than just words on a page. Amen. 
That's God's personality. That's God talking to you. That's God Almighty that gave you a Bible and gave you the Holy Spirit that authored that Bible and said to you, hey, you ought to read the Bible. Why? Because it's my love letter to you. But now it's like, well, you know, why you got to force me? You go to school. A lot of you are in college, right? Some of you are in college, right? Do you have textbooks still? Do they require you to bring a textbook? Do they? You know, it's an amazing thing. How dare they demand you read the textbook? I mean, you all should have like a, 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 a revolt tomorrow at school and put a sign out there, I refuse to read the textbook. I mean, why not? You refuse to read the Bible? When I was downtown, you know what they did? They had general rules and SOPs. You say, why do you say that? That was a big part of my life. I'm not ashamed of that. Amen. You let somebody else tell you that all policemen are stupid and all policemen are ignorant and all policemen don't know the law and you need to inform yourself because they're there to just run over your rights and all that. I ain't wasting pulpit time on that foolishness. I'm not ashamed of what I did. You know what they had the audacity to do? They had the audacity to say you have to read and sign every one of those. Make me read the material. Promotional exams, make me read the material. How dare them ask me to do that? You know what the Lord said? He said, give attention to reading. Amen. You know what the Bible says? Study to show thyself approved unto God. A workman needeth not to be ashamed. Right? How dare him tell you that? Unless it's for your good. But you put it on the shelf lately, hadn't you? It don't mean to you what it used to. You think you got to wait till you get old and sitting in a rocking chair and you got you some half-rim glasses there and you're rocking back and forth because you can't do nothing else and that's the time you read it? Boys, you better listen now. You're going to need it now more now than when you get old. Amen. When you get old, you get to the point you can't even get out of your own way. You stumble over your own feet, man. You're worried about stuff like following and falling and the, and the depth perception and that kind of a deal. That ain't the problem nowadays. You fellows out there right now, you know where you are? You're right in the midst of a stinking lion's den. You're going to need the Bible. You're going to need to make sure you understand that Bible and spend time. But you better be prepared when you read it. It ain't always something that feathers your nest. Sometimes he puts some thorns and thistles in there. And when you set your hind end down on it, it makes you holler out and want to jump out of the nest. You say, why? God knows what we need. Let me give you the second thing about the Bible. Look in Romans chapter number 3. The Romans chapter number 3, the Bible will persuade you against yourself. We're talking about the sword of the Spirit. You have an opportunity to sit down with somebody. If they don't believe the truth of the Word of God, you can't make no headway with them. Did you know that? You can't make any headway with them. You say, why? They don't have any authority in their life. The reason some of you are buck wild is because you have no authority in your life. You always want everybody to be under your authority, but you're not under any authority. The Bible doesn't mean anything to you. It doesn't have the power unless you use it over someone else. Romans chapter number 3, I won't read the whole thing. Pick it up around verse number 10. As it is written, there is none righteous, no not one. There is none that understandeth, there is none that seeketh after God. If you want to know whether or not there's a Roman Catholics and nuns in the Bible, there they are. There's four nuns in the Bible. That's funny. You should laugh. They're not N-U-N. They're N-O-N-E. That's talking about me and you. Do you like the fact that the Bible convinces you that you're no good? 
That's how you start when it comes to salvation. Amen. How dare you tell me I'm no good. I tried to persuade that old man for years and years and years until he got 92 years of age. He never would believe he was not good. You say, why? He was comparing himself to people that were bad. I showed him that verse, I don't know how many times, dozens of times. You read on down through all the way to 23, you know what you find in verse 23? For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And unless you're convinced of that, you can't get saved. Amen. You can't get saved unless you know you're a sinner. I didn't say you get saved confessing your sins. I said you get saved confessing you're a sinner. You, can't, you ain't got time to confess all your sins. And you're going to lie about half of them. You ain't going to tell the truth. You don't even tell the truth in your own private prayer life. I mean, you confess the things that are pretty obvious, but those deep down things, you kind of keep those to yourself, don't you? And kind of lock them away and put them down there in a nuclear tunnel where nobody can get to them. You know, those deep dark rooms that you don't want them to go in. But you know what it does? It not only criticizes you, it convinces you or persuades you against yourself. Your own worst enemy is not the brother and sister sitting next to you. It's yourself. Amen. Lord, I'm the one with the problem. The fellow asked one time, an old timer, and I remembered it doing it. And he said, you know, we don't see revival. We don't see revival. We can't have revival. We don't see revival. And the preacher said, well, I know how you have a revival. And he said, well, you tell me and I'll do it. He said, all right, get out on your knees. And he got out and thought he was going to have him prayer. He said, take you a piece of chalk and draw a circle around you. And he said, well, that seems kind of strange. And he said, uh, you stay in that circle and you pray until God sends you revival that you ain't leaving that circle. And he said, here's how you start the prayer. It's me, it's me, it's me, oh Lord, standing in the need of prayer. Lord, the nation needs revival. Forget about it, it ain't happening. Well, preacher, our church needs revival. Forget about it, it ain't going to happen. You say, what does revival do? It's an individual thing. It has to do with your personal fellowship with God. And if one of you embers around here would catch on fire, you might be surprised how many people come watch you burn. Amen. When's the last time you were so on fire you couldn't help yourself but to run down the aisle? To holler, to jump up and kick your leg up or to holler amen or to ooh or something, you know? I mean, just a little excitement. When's the last time that people said, man, what in the world got into you? You crazy? Why, the apostles, when they get over there and they get to preaching, you know what the Bible said? These are drunk on new wine. They knew they hadn't been drinking anything but grape juice. They said, man, it only took some new wine to get them like that, some grape juice. And look at them, man, they're high as a kite, acting stupid, talking about all this crazy stuff Jesus did for them. When's the last time somebody accused you of being crazy for Jesus? When's the last time your witness was so bold? Psalms 119, your witness was so bold that people thought you were crazy. That's not what you see nowadays, ladies and gentlemen. You don't see the so-called special forces willing to, to do without so that they can be a, a little bit better. You don't see that anymore. You don't see willing to pay the price. Now it's how close to the world can we get, look like the world, and act like the world, so we don't feel so out of place. What's wrong with feeling out of place? I, I don't want to walk in a place full of queers and feel comfortable. I, I really, I don't, I, don't, I don't care if they don't like me. I'm sorry you're that unsure of yourself. There's some people I don't want to like me. See, but, they, they, but they should like me. They should like, I'm trying to help them. I'm trying to, I, I'm, you're, you're, you're whacked out. You know what the Lord said? He said to them boys, he said, you know something strange to me? He said, I, I've been watching you fellas here for a while. And he said, I've noticed one thing. I got enemies. Where are yours? Ain't that what he said? He didn't say that because you're being a jerk. Jesus wasn't a jerk. 
He didn't say that because he was being obnoxious. It's because of his stand. Isn't that where we started? Yes. Withstand and stand. Having done all to stand, stand. Yes. Yes. Just take a stand for something, you'll fall for anything. Amen. We want you to grab a backbone again, man. I mean, wh what happened to you? Amen. You just gradually over time, you're the frog in the boiling water, and now you're about to boil to death, and you're near, about near death, some of you. It's been a while since the Lord reached out and He tagged your heart. Psalms 119, here's something that we don't particularly care for. Verse number 9, the Bible cleans you up. Wherewithal shall a young man cleanse his way by going to a 12-step program? By seeing a psychiatrist or psychologist. By trying to get in touch with his inner self. I'm sorry, that must have been a new version, a living Bible or something there. He said, how do I get clean? He doesn't say by reading. He said, by taking heed according to what? By word. word. That means I do what it says to do. Yes. You want to get clean? You've got to do what it says do. There's some things you shouldn't be doing as a Christian. Amen. Literally less than five years ago when I preached that, the roof would come off. Because you lived a separated life. But nowadays, you, even the special forces troops, you're not quite as separated as you used to be, are you? Stuff's in your house that didn't used to be. Things have changed a little bit, haven't they? Well, preachers see it's because we've gotten more balanced. Oh, is that what that is? Look, if you invite in your Bible, stay in Psalms 119. That whole thing's on the Bible. Let's just talk about it for just a second. You need some counseling? Look in verse number 24. Thy testimonies also are my delight and my what? You know what you got when you went through Colossians here? You, he talked about vain philosophy and he talked about philosophers and science falsely so-called and all those other kind of things. You know what the world's trying to convince you to do today is to try to get a mentor. You know the best mentor you can have? That book. Amen. I have people that come see me on occasion. You can't blame them for wanting to get some help. I'm not saying they get any help, but they're trying and they're looking for it. And everything I do my best to give them comes out of that book. Amen. You say, wow, I can't help anybody. I can give them what God's given me according to the book. If they apply it, then it'll work. And if they don't apply it, it ain't going to work. But it ain't a quick fix. You know what he said? His testimonies are my counselors. Amen. What does God have to say about what you're doing? The problem is, you know what will happen? When he counsels you, you're not going to quit. He said, here's what I think about it. Lord, I mean, if I do that, you ask me. I'm telling you, you get sick and go to the doctor, used the illustration before, and the doctor comes in and he diagnoses you with the epizoulets or whatever, and so you come in there and he says, now here's a prescription and this will help you, like a Z-Pack or a Flip Doodle or a Dumb Flotchy or whatever it might be, and go take this, and you go down to Costco's or Walgreens or wherever it is you go to get your medicine, not on the corner. I just want to clarify that. What is that? Oh, I'm just getting a little medical marijuana. It's legal now. 
Fentanyl's legal. Am I right? They want to put you down to work on you? You check what's in the bag. Ask Michael Jackson. He might know something about that. Oh, sorry. Excuse me. Just because it's legal don't mean it's right. If I had a card and I did that, it'd be, be all right with y'all. I mean, my doctor just said I... When you, when you probably kind of be thinking, what's associated with that? Well, the doctor prescribed it. And, you know, I just, I don't, if you're on it, it's your business. I don't care. I'm not coming to your house to borrow some of your baggie. I ain't eating your gummy bears. Go to Colorado for that. You get them in a vending machine in Colorado. I mean, when I go out there to preach, I joke about it all the time, man. I say, you people are on gummy bears or something. They're just sitting there like... Yeah, man, that's really good stuff, man. <laughs> that doctor writes you a prescription and you go in there to get you some antibiotics because you got a disease. Right. And you come back in there and the doctor says to you, why are you still sick? Well, I don't know, doc, I just can't seem to get well. Oh. Did you take the medicine? Well, I did, but I read the side effects. Yeah, and one of the biggest side effects of not taking it is you're still sick. You know why you're still sick? Because you didn't get well. Because you didn't take the medicine. Yeah, but there's side effects from taking that. I'd rather be well and deal with side effects than to be sick and deal with the biggest side effect, and that's not to be well. You get in that book, you know what you find out? He gives you a prescription and he counsels you. Do you take his counsel? How could you beat his counsel? He'll give you an answer for everything you got. You got a couple more minutes? I'll get you out by six. Is that fair? I'm already going to give you off Christmas Eve night, man, so give me a break. Look in verse 38, same passage. It'll confirm some things for you. It's good when God gives you direction. But he don't speak through burning bushes no more. He uses his word. But you've got to be in it to find it. I'm not talking about you spin it around and... Judas went out and hung himself. Go thou therefore and do likewise. <laughs> Oops. <laughs> I'm not talking about Bible roulette. I'm talking about rightly divided. You go through and say, Lord, I need an answer to this situation and I'm not going to move on it until you give me an answer for it. You don't think God can answer you from that? Look, if you will, please, in verse number 38. Establish thy word unto thy servant who is devoted to thy fear. Establish thy word. Confirm it. Yes. Amen. Let me show you something over in the book of Isaiah. I'll show you this real quick and we're going to come back in just a second to this. Oh, let's see. Come over to Isaiah uh, 61. I'm in my own, this is personal testimony, okay? So please don't be offended. 
I'm in a straight betwixt two, pastoring a small uh, church for about nine years or so and a little small building and just a few people here, faithful as they can be and get up to get gone and trying to work at the sheriff's office and the Lord's dealing with me about leaving and there's not enough people to, to do anything as far as money's concerned. They're doing what they could do, but they couldn't do enough. Couldn't, couldn't even touch close to where, what I was doing at the time. I mean, I was doing okay back then. And I'm struggling, and I knew better. I knew better than to try to touch my feelings or to see a car tag or a billboard or something on the TV. I mean, <laughs> you get crazy. Well, when you really get serious and you get down between the tongue and groove and you're praying and you're fasting, you want God to speak to you from His Word. Amen. I didn't want to hear just another sermon. I didn't want to hear somebody get me emotionally spun up because I was ready to charge hell with a squirt gun, a squirt gun of gasoline and gasoline britches on. I needed something from God. I came home that day, man, and I'm in the floor of my office there, and I'm bawling and squalling like a little girl, and I'm trying to figure out what God wants me to do. And I said, God, I, I, I need something. I need to know for sure. I need to know this is what you want me to do. I know it's not me. I know it's not my flesh. I love doing what I was doing. I felt like I could keep doing both of them forever. And uh, I said, but I'm afraid it might be the devil. I need to know it's you. Here's what the Lord gave me. The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord hath anointed me to preach good tidings to the meek. He hath sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captains, the open of the prison to them that are bound, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord, the day of the vengeance, and our God to comfort uh, uh, all that mourn. We were involved in a pretty heavy prison ministry right there. What's in the flyleaf of my Bible? God spoke to me out of His book. He didn't speak to me out of a burning bush. He confirmed His Word with a book. Amen. You think you're going to talk me out of that? The reason some of you get talked out of things is is because you wind up getting things confirmation and it's not from His book. Amen. You don't need a voice. you got a verse. Amen. You say, what are you looking for? Uh, do you ever pray about who you're going to marry? If you're already married, you better be praying. <laughs> you ain't getting out of that one. But ladies and gentlemen, you ever you pray about it before you do it? Amen. Is that who God wants you to have? You have a verse? Are you just doing it because you're made up your mind and you think you're really in love, but is it what God wants for you? Just asking. I got three minutes. I'm not going to make it all. Um, look, if you will, please, in John chapter... Well, stay in Psalms 119. Psalms 119. Well, that's a pretty bold testimony. You think God speaks to you that way? Yeah, I, th I do. I believe He spoke to me that way. I don't apologize for it at all. Well, I think that's charismatic. -y. Okay, well, I'm sorry the Lord don't talk to you the way He does to me. But God don't, don't, God don't speak to me out of a closet. God don't talk to me in the middle of the night. You don't come down, David. He doesn't talk like that. And I'll look out my door and there's a bush burning and not consumed. And I walk out, the Lord said, take your shoes off you on holy ground, boy. I don't, he don't talk to me that way. He talks to me through the book. Yeah. I'll grant you he's spoken to me sometimes through preachers. They preach in the book. Sure. But when God's dealing with me about my personal stuff and my personal direction, I got a verse. How am I going to be able to lead you if I don't have a clear map? I can't trust how I feel about it. You say, what? Emotions get in the way. Yes. Fatigue gets in the way. You get half crazy. And you're thinking, Lord, what am I supposed to do? 
Well, we pull over and wait until God gives orders. And until then, we follow the last order we had, orders. Some of you have a time of that, don't you? Following orders. That Bible says about David's mighty men, they were mighty and not just because they were talented. You know what that says about them? Three times in that one passage, he said, these are they which could keep rank. They knew their place and were glad of it. I'm, I'm sorry that some of you don't understand that, but that's how God works. Psalms 119, let me give you a little bit of comfort, a little balm for those open wounds that you got on you. Psalms 119, verse number 50. Uh, this is my comfort in my... For the word hath... Quickening means to be made alive. David comes along through there and he says, uh, Lord, be tender to me and be merciful to me and create in me a clean heart and a, con a broken and a contrite spirit. And he talks all through the Bible about what the Word did to him all through Psalms 119 repeatedly, what the book did for him. We went through that study a long time ago. That Bible says in 1 Thessalonians chapter number 4, He said, The Lord Himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, the voice of the archangel, the trump of God, the dead in Christ shall rise first, and we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. Wherefore, comfort one another with what? With what? What words of comfort would that be? That would be God's words. God says He's coming to get you before the tribulation. God said He's coming one day. He's giving you comfort. And John 15, you know what He says? He said, I must, must needs leave. Why? So that the Comforter can come. That book will give you comfort in times of difficulty, in times of struggle, in times of suffering, in times of... It'll speak to you if you'll let it, but you've got to spend some time in it. Yes, sir. That's what the Bible does. You see, what is that? That's the sword of the Spirit. You want to have effectiveness against the devil? You're never going to get him off your back. He's after you like nobody's business. He cannot wait to put your head on the, over the fireplace. All he wants to do is try to destroy you. He wants to get in your head so much so that in 2 Corinthians 10, the Lord said uh, to make sure that you tear down every strong hair, everything that lifts itself up against the knowledge of God. Thoughts, thought process. You know why he does that? The devil's after you. He's trying to get you. He said, how do you do it? The only thing I can tell you is, is the way the Lord did it. And I'm closing now. You say, how did the Lord do it? He comes to the wilderness of temptation and he's standing there and the devil comes up to him and those last three, been tempted for 40 days now and he comes to those last three things and it's imperative that you grab a hold of this. Because yep. he is the incarnate word, is he not? In the beginning was the word, words with God, the word was God, right? Yeah. If anybody should have the power, hocus pocus, dominocus, supercalifragilistic, expiatodocious, whatever it may be, to be able to do something, he should, you know, be gone, get out of here, whatever. You know what he does in all three of those things? It is written, it is written, it is written. Now, if the Lord knew to repel the devil, he needed the written word. In the immortal words of David Ring, what's your problem? Why are we so weak in the Word? We're Bible believers. Do you know the verses you need to be able to combat what you're combating? To get the direction you need? To settle you down in anxious moments? To quiet you in the middle of a storm? To give you directions in the dark? To give you control over your emotions? Do you know the verses?
You know how you get the verses? You start reading. 